Don't miss two new episodes of President Review coming this Friday on the Nolan Clearing Network on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. Politics Weekly. I'm your host, Nolan Cleary. Politics Weekly is a podcast on politics, news, and principles. This week, we talk Bernie Sanders' run for the White House, as well as the Jesse Chamlet incident, and more. Weekly, we are here with Eduardo. Thank you for of course. Thank you for having me. That's how you pronounce yes. your name, right? Okay, just making sure. Um, so uh, now you have a podcast. Now you consider yourself a progressive, is that correct? That is correct. Um, uh, I kind of first joined politics with uh, Bernie Sanders, and he kind of got me involved in the political process. And I've considered myself a progressive uh, since his presidential run. Um, a Bernie Cray, if you will. Now, tell us a little bit about your your podcast. I think isn't it called the Southern Progressive Podcast? Yeah, a Southern Progressive Politics. So I, I haven't really been on. Uh, I'm I'm a student here at Georgia Southern University down here in South Georgia, and so it's been uh, kind of tough keeping up with uh, my schedule, making sure I'm free to do uh, you know a lot of the research I need to do on the podcast. But uh, the two things I've done is when when the House uh, was turning over to the Democrats and the uh, government shutdown. And, um, you know, I, I try to give my, uh, my view and the, and the progressive view of the, um, the, I gave my progressive view on the, on the shutdown and, you know, I, I did my best trying to kind of uh, show that to the, to the listeners. All right, then. Uh, so why don't we get right into the news then? Um, so first of all, the ones, uh, one, bit of news which you're probably uh interested in probably heard about senator bernie sanders uh has now gotten into the democratic primary he's re-registered as a democrat and he will be running for president once again as a democrat that he announced this this week this is his second run for the presidency uh he ran originally in 2016 and lost his bid uh, to uh, Hillary Clinton, who went on to lose to President Donald Trump uh, in the general election. Um, Bernie Sanders is amongst the top three uh, Democrats polling nationally alongside uh, Joe Bi- former Vice President and former Delaware Senator Joe Biden and uh, California Senator Kamala Harris. 
Uh, what are your Eduardo? What are your thoughts on Bernie Sanders getting into the 2020? Well, personally, I have been anticipating it ever since the 2016 loss. Um, you know, just from the polling we saw uh, done for the 2016 election, we saw that Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump were almost uh, tied in the polls. And when uh, Bernie was pulled against Trump, he was uh, he was pulling much much higher. So it is my belief that if Bernie Sanders were the nominee in 2016, he, he would have won the presidency. Um, and I think that the Democratic Party right now isn't holding, uh, isn't really uh, doing its the best job it it's, uh, it could be doing to um, to kind of show the contrast to President Donald Trump. I mean, obviously it's not hard to contrast the president, but at the same time, I think Bernie Sanders offers you know uh, both a, a good progressive policy and at the same time he offers himself as one of the most honest politicians in the senate and one of the most popular politicians in the country um so i think that uh bernie sanders is the nominee to go with in the 2020 election and it is my belief that he is going to beat donald trump in the general uh do you think he has a chance of winning the nomination? Uh so one of the things that he does have this go round that he didn't have in 2016 is the name recognition. Um you know he started uh his um his campaign in April of 2015 with almost no rec- name recognition and uh almost closed in on uh Hillary Clinton in 2016. So I think he has that going for him this this uh nomination. Uh, or this uh, nomination process. And not only that, he just has a huge support uh, on online contributors. You know, in the first day of his campaign, he raised $6 million in a little over 24 hours. So, I mean, that that's that's impressive. That's amazingly impressive. And to me, right now, he's a front runner of the Democratic Party's nomination process. So I, I, I do see him getting the nomination process. Although it would be more difficult, I think he can do it. All right. Why don't we move on then? So um, Donald Trump is planning to have a second uh, summit with Kim Jong-un very soon. Uh, Today, Trump flew out to Vietnam uh, to uh, have a second summit uh, with uh, Kim Jong-un, the leader of North Korea. Um, Some people aren't sure what's going to come out of it. If anything's going to come out of it, um, but uh, he is going to have another meeting, uh, and it is expected that they will talk about the nuclear program. Um, what are your thoughts on Trump uh, going out to uh, speak with Kim Jong-un for the second Well, time? you know, I think it'll be kind of very similar to what it happened the first time. You know, we really didn't get anything out of it. The North Koreans promised that they would back out of testing and experimenting and they say they were pulling out of the nuclear uh, their nuclear weapons. And what we saw later on through some investigations and some uh, aerial pictures that that wasn't the case, that they were still developing nuclear weapons uh, and, you know, the ICBMs regularly. And so I honestly don't see anything coming out. I, I haven't heard anything that he wants to, he plans on doing this go round, but I mean, I could be wrong. He, uh, if he, if he is looking to denuclearize uh, North Korea, I don't think he's going to have a lot of luck doing that, especially when uh, North Korea needs the most uh, kind of, they need a lot of uh, weight, uh, if you will, in, in the world today. So people will take them seriously. And I think nuclear weapons is their key to that. All right. Um, uh, what What do you believe would be the uh, the right way to go about handling North Korea? So, me personally, I think the best way to handle that is through some kind of. Uh, it's probably to go through China. Honestly, that that's probably the best way to go about it. Uh, I can't really see any other way going forward, just because um, North Korea hasn't really responded well to the sanctions from the U.S. It really hasn't really done much, I'd say. And, you know, the rest of the world obviously is, is uh, sanctioning North Korea. But 
I think the best way to get to them, you know, obviously the, the North Korean people are going to suffer is uh, Chinese sanctions. And while I think that should be the last resort kind of in, in sanctioning, um, I, I think China has a lot of influence with North Korea, being their biggest supporter. So I think that's the way to go. Um, but obviously, um, military intervention or any kind of military move, I would very much disagree with um, in, in terms of North Korea. All right, then. Uh, why don't we move on then? So uh, Heather Nauert uh, was uh, slated to be Donald Trump's um, nominee to replace uh, Nikki Haley uh, as uh, United or as uh, ambassador to the United Nations. However, she has um, withdrawn her nomination. Um, uh, she did apparently there was a controversy over the immigration status of one of her children's nannies. Um, and that didn't go over too well with uh, President Trump. So Heather Nauer, uh has withdrawn her nomination uh, for UN ambassador. Um, uh, what are your thoughts on uh, Heather Nauer, uh withdrawing her nomination for UN ambassador? Well, you know, um, I really haven't heard much about her. I did hear about, you know, her uh, withdrawing her nomination. But, you know, it goes to show you, I mean, every, everyone in this, in this country has some connection to, to uh, some people in the country. And, you know, I think if the president were a little more open about, you know, the immigration status of people, I think we wouldn't have as much of a problem. But I really don't know much about Heather Nauer. But um, at the same time, uh, I think it, it kind of shows us how how the president is kind of uh, he, how he's handling people with with these kind of immigration uh, these immigration relations and uh, how important it is to him how, how he prioritizes that. So if he believes that the um, that the, the relationship is is a problem versus actual policy or or any kind of um, any kind of you know uh, qual quali- uh, qualifying uh, factors of the person uh, qualifications um, then I think that's the wrong way to go I think qualifications and and her uh, vigor should be first before the the nanny. All right, uh, why don't we move on then? Um... So Jussie Shamlet uh, is uh, now under fire. The the actor uh, from the show, the Fox uh, hit series Empire, um, has uh, came under fire. Uh, originally, he had an, he had said that he uh, there was a hate crime committed against him, um, uh, where he was attacked, he was bleached, there was a rope tied around him. Uh, and he was uh, attacked, and allegedly the attackers uh, said, this is MAGA country. Um, uh, Jesse Shamlet is both uh, African-American and gay, uh, which led people to um, label the, uh, the incident as a hate crime. Uh, however, uh, new reports suggest that Shamlet uh, not, was not attacked, and that he actually staged uh, the incident. Uh, Shamlet uh, initially denied this uh, and said that uh, the accusations uh, of him faking this hate crime uh, uh, made him feel worse or made the situation worse. Um, but uh, recently, he has been he has been he did go to jail for a short time. Um, he has been released from jail since then. Um, but, uh, right now he's still on trial and he could go to prison for three years. Um, what are your thoughts on the Jesse Shamlet, uh, case? Well, I think it's very tragic that, uh, that the situation came out to be what it was, you know, um, obviously we, we, it, it is very sad to see that stuff like that actually does happen in the country, um, that's not staged. And, you know, Jesse kind of 
kind of delegitimized that whole th- that um, that scenario that happens all across the country. And, you know, initially it was said that he did this because he didn't see a good enough reaction out of getting sent a racist letter, which I think kind of shows us that he did it for uh, selfish reasons. He, he wanted to see that, uh, that it was, that, that, that this situation was bad, but instead of letting the public kind of do their, uh, their own kind of judgment, he goes and pays these two people $3,000 to commit a hate crime essentially. And all that just to get the attention of, of the, the public. Um, I, I think it's, I've, I, I mean, frankly, it's sickening to see that he staged this incident while at the same time there are real people out there getting attacked for who they are. They're saying he could go to prison for three years. Do you agree with that verdict? Well, um, you know, I would say I didn't know that it was three years, but, you know, it, it does seem that there should be some kind of uh, some kind of uh, repercussions of, of his actions, you know, uh, filing a false uh, police report, having these two people arrested as well for what they did and uh, trying to lie about it, you know, and filing a false re- police report is bad enough. Um, not only taking, you know, the, the resources from the Chicago Police Department, but as well as kind of causing a stir in the media. Um, I'm not sure if I would agree with, with three years, but, um, yeah, definitely some kind of repercussions in prison maybe would have, uh, would be appropriate, but, um, you know, obviously I have no burden over that. So, uh, I, I guess it would, it would be appropriate in the eye of the law. All right. Um, why don't we continue on then? So former Virginia governor, uh, Terry McAuliffe. Um, is saying that he is a, is reportedly getting ready to uh, announce his candidacy for president of the United States in 2020. Some rumors even suggest he could announce before the fe- the end of February 2019, which is time this is being recorded, just in case anybody's listening to this in the future. Um, but yeah, they're saying he could um, he could. Uh, announce at the end of the month. Uh, what are your thoughts on Terry McAuliffe potentially uh, joining the growing, crowded 2020 Democratic presidential primary? Well, I think, uh, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the, um, I should say that the politicians out of Virginia are having a very tough time in the, in the, in the media recently. And uh, if I'm remembering correctly, he was right before Ralph Northam. Is that correct? Yes, he was. Ralph Northam served as his lieutenant governor okay. for four years before becoming governor. Right. Uh, so, yeah, he, I think he just ended his last year. So um, I, I've seen Terry McAuliffe is, is, uh, is a character. You know, I've kind of seen him as a more of a – centrist kind of person. Um, and, you know, I think the the last thing that the Democratic Party needs is to move to the center. You know, I, other people will say, you know, the radicalization and polarization of parties is a bad thing. But at the same time, you know, I don't know what Terry McAuliffe, he, what he offers to the table, you know, um, other than being a moderate. You know, we already have Amy Klobuchar doing that. So um, is he just kind of going in there to expand how many people are running for the moderate, uh, for a moderate Democratic Party. I'm not sure, but, you know, he doesn't really excite me, and uh, I don't think he'll excite me to the voters for the Democratic primary. All right, Ben. Um, why don't we move on? Speaking of the controversy in Virginia, more controversy over the lieutenant governor, Justin Fairfax. So Justin Fairfax um as you may recall, was accused of sexual assault. Uh, Now the uh, Republican-controlled state legislature in Virginia has offered uh, both women um, who are accusing uh, uh, Fairfax of sexual assault uh, to come in and testify, and one of them has actually accepted 
the offer to come into the legislature and testify. What are your thoughts on this, and where do you see this going? Do you see Fairfax resigning, and or, and do you potentially see Northam and Herring resigning? Well, I know that Northam has indicated that he's not going to resign. Uh, so uh, I don't really see him resigning unless unless you know there's some kind of um, you know removal proceedings. Uh, Justin Fairfax is is um, kind of. Uh, he was a growing star in the Democratic Party. He was, you know, invited to Georgia many times with Stacey Abrams to campaign with her. And he was he was very flaunted here in Georgia. Um, but hearing this news is is very concerning. Um, if these women are uh, are allowed to uh, to give their stories and uh, they seem credible and and the their stories come out to 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 be true. Then I mean I really don't see any any other way for Justin Fairfax to go other than to resign. Um, so you know it, it's a shame that that a lot of the politicians today do that, and you know have to they have to be held accountable to what to what they've done and what they are doing. Interesting. Um, now, do you believe it was the right move for the Republican legislature to invite the women uh, to speak? in front of the legislature or do you think there were better ways that could have been handled? well i think i think if they were um concerned about ethics they could have had it in a closed hearing um but honestly you know in today's politics it seems like it was just a political move um you know i feel that the republican party doesn't really have much room to talk if they want to get about if they want to really hold sexual assault people or sexual assaulters accountable they start with the president of the united states um, but, you know, at the same time, I, I, I see that, that, you know, sexual assaulters aren't just one party thing, but they definitely should, should, um, if, if the Republican legislature really cares about this, they'll, they'll not stop only at, at the, uh, test of, uh, the testifying of, of the victims, but they should, uh, go, um, uh, into actually investigating what happened and if it's true and, you know, Justin Fairfax should be open to, all this uh, investigating that's going on, and if he if he claims he's innocent, then uh, he should have no problem with that. All right, why don't we move on then? So Nick Sandman, uh, the fifteen-year-old kid, uh, in the viral video uh, that came out between him uh, and Nathan Phillips, the Native American, uh, is now suing. Uh, the Washington Post. Uh, if you remember, there was a video that came out which initially uh, w- which showed uh, Phillips uh, playing a drum uh, with a lot of um, uh, of the Covington High School kids surrounded around him, and Nick Sandman was there with the MAGA hat, smiling at him um, or smirking at him. Uh, later, uh, video footage did put. Initially, many people thought that he was mocking him. Um, later footage um, put the story in doubt a little bit. Um, but now Nick Sandman is uh, is suing the Washington Post for uh, what he calls defamation. Uh, he believes that uh, the way they covered the story by covering it as him uh, harassing Nathan Phillips he believes that that's untrue, and he believes that that's slander, um, and he is now suing them uh, for, I think, around $200 million. I think it's uh, $250 million. $250 million uh, for that uh, case. What are your thoughts on that? I think it's absolutely ridiculous that he thinks that defamation costs $250 million. It seems that he's just trying to profit off of this story. And you know if if um, if Nick doesn't or not Nick um, yeah Nicholas Sandman if he doesn't want to be in the public eye if he didn't want to uh, see himself in the media like this he shouldn't have gone onto the media and you know milked the the publicity out of it I think he's just trying to take money from the Washington Post and you know like I said it's it's excessive two hundred fifty million dollars is more. Uh, it is more than excessive. It is absolutely uh, ludicrous. 
that he wants that much money. Um, either way, you know, we, we see that obviously Nicholas supports the president of the United States. And we see how the president of the United States has been treating Native Americans in this country. You know, uh, he's barely acknowledged them as, as president. Um, and uh, what I've seen is that if, if, the, if, the, if people want to see some sort of evidence that the president uh, really doesn't care about, about uh, Native lands, they can see what he's done in the EPA, you know, opening those grounds to, to, um, to being accessible to some oil companies. And at the same time, the North, North Dakota Access Pipeline um, with the people in Standing Rock saying that they didn't want it and the president very much saying that he didn't care about it or he didn't care what, what they had to say. So <clears throat> to me, if, if Nicholas didn't want to be, you know, probed in the media, he shouldn't have put himself out there to be probed like that. Um, you know, obviously the, the, he has no control over what, what the Washington Post uh, puts on, but at the same time, if he really didn't want this to, to be fueled, um, I don't think that um, that he should have gone on 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 news and and addressed his thing and, and tried to defend himself in the way he did. Do you think that it was defamation, or do you think he was legitimately handling himself badly in the in the full video? Well, at, at the same time, I mean, if. The Washington Post didn't paint anything, you know, untrue. Uh, if I, I, I'm going to try to pull up the um, the, the the original Washington Post article, but at the same time, you know, defamation would have been if, if they said that he was just awful and that he didn't uh, that, that he was just being very disrespectful. You know, I believe that I don't think that the Washington Post really was. And at the same time, you know, if whatever the story may be, um, I think that it was just a very unfortunate incident and that, uh, you know, it was it was obviously pretty apparent that they really didn't respect what what the Native Americans that were doing. All right. Um, why don't we continue then? So um Obviously, the presidential election in 2020 is making big, big headlines already. Uh, but don't forget about the fight for the U.S. Senate. Um, so control of the United States Senate uh, could come down to a couple seats. And there are some very competitive uh, races, some very bad in battle incumbents on both sides in 2020 in the United States Senate. And perhaps the most embattled. Uh, uh, senator or Democratic Senator Doug Jones, Democrat from Alabama in 2020, now has his first major Republican challenger. Brad, Congressman Bradley Byrne has said that he will be challenging he, uh, Doug Jones. He is the first Republican to throw his hat in the ring. Um, so that is big news. Um, we also know now that um, uh, we, we talked last week that Jim Ziegler, the state auditor, uh, had also been forming a, an export uh, an exploratory committee in Alabama. But we also know now that apparently uh, Chuck Schumer, uh, he's been going around lately. We've talked about this a little bit, how he's been going around trying to recruit Democrats to run in 2020. He actually went to Beto O'Rourke and pleaded with him to not run for president, but to run for Senate again in Texas uh, in 2020 against John Cornyn. Uh, we also know that uh, uh, Ruben Gallego, the congressman from Arizona, was confronted by, uh, by um, Chuck Schumer about running against Martha McSally in the special election for John McCain's seat in 2020. But we also now know that Amy McGrath, um, the uh, air, the retired Air Force pilot, um, who made headlines in 2018 uh, for um, coming very close to unseating Andy Barr um, in a congressional district uh, won by Donald Trump by a landslide, uh, has uh, has been approached. By um, by uh, 
Schumer to take on the majority leader in the United States Senate, Mitch McConnell, uh, in Kentucky. Um, what are your thoughts on her being confronted in Kentucky, and what are your thoughts on the Alabama race? Uh, you know, I, I think, you know, Doug Jones has has played a, a very key role in the morality of, or the morale, sorry, of the Democratic Party in 2017. You know, they were very um, excited that they had won Alabama, one of the most Republican states in the country. But at the same time, we have to look at the, uh, who was his opponent? You know, it was a, uh, a person who was accused of, uh, um, you know, pedophilia, uh, you know, and who was v- viewed very unfavorably. And the senior senator of Alabama, Richard Shelby, had said that he would recommend writing someone in. And that's what happened. Twenty, I believe the number was 24, 27,000 people wrote in another candidate and didn't vote for either of them. And, you know, it was a, by a very slim margin that Doug Jones had won. But um, I think Doug Jones, if he, if he does want to be reelected, he has to show the, the people of Alabama that, uh, he is right for the job, and and why he's better than than his than his Republican opponent will be. But one of the interesting things that I did see, you know, out of coming out of Arizona, um, you know, a, a person who did announce already that they are running for Senate is uh, Mark Kelly, who yes. is uh, the astronaut uh, from Arizona whose wife was a congresswoman who was shot in Arizona during uh, one of her first. Um, Gabrielle Giffords, Gabrielle Giffords. And, and, you know, it kind of made both of them very big gun control advocates. And, uh, you know, I think Mark Kelly is a, is probably going to be very popular in the in the Democratic primary, and we'll see how he does. But, um, you know, I think he's, he's someone that we need to watch out for, especially, you know, coming from uh, John McCain's uh, home state, which is known for its very independent-minded uh, voter base. You know, a lot of the um, Arizonians have, seem to be very strong, independent-minded people who uh, really kind of elevate themselves above partisan politics a lot. So I think it'd be it'd be very interesting to see how it goes. Um, and, you know, obviously, um, Mitch McConnell is one of the most, or one of the least popular uh, senators in the Senate. And seeing that he's being challenged uh, by uh, essentially being challenged by Chuck Schumer um, through, a, through another candidate is very interesting to see how close the partisanship hits uh, when you're talking about the minority leader and the majority leader. So um, I, in my time in politics, I've, I've never seen that kind of uh, hostility between two party leaders. Um, interesting. Um... Uh, and, but yeah, so I think what had happened in, in Arizona, they're saying in Arizona that there are supposed to be a couple candidates, um, there, or there might be a couple candidates. They're saying that uh, there's Ruben Gallego, the former or the current congressman, who's like a young Hispanic progressive guy, and then there's all, and apparently Schumer has confronted him about running, and then they also said that um, apparently. Another candidate that's uh, considering running is Greg Stanton, who's another he's a new congressman. He took over for uh, Kristen Sinema when she uh, went to become uh, a U.S. Senate. He took her seat in the House and he's also the former mayor of Phoenix, Arizona. So that's going to be interesting. Do you think that it could uh, become too crowded? And, and that that might hurt Democrats, or do you think it won't make a difference? Um, you know, it, seeing as, as Arizona, like I said, being very independent-minded, I, I really don't see that being a problem. Um, you know, Mark Kelly is very popular, and um, I, I've, not, I've not heard about Ruben Gallego as much, but I did hear, I mean, he does make some kind of buzz sometimes. But, um, you know, uh, I, think, I think the more the merrier in this case, you know, we have more uh, variety in Arizona, the better. So, um, you know, at the end of the day, the Democratic primary in Arizona, being the uh, senatorial race in Arizona, is going to give the results it gives. And I think it'll be good enough to go against whoever's going to run for Senate in the Republican side, which probably will be Martha McSally, seeing as she did run for uh, a Senate seat in 2018, lost, and then was appointed 
to uh to fill in John McCain's seat. And she has um confirmed. She has confirmed she is running again. She has officially filed her papers to run for re-election. Mm. Well then uh yeah that that like I said uh you know that'll be really interesting to see how it goes. Um and I don't know. Uh obviously Mar- Martha McSally is not unpopular. She almost won that that sentence that Kirsten Cinema holds now. So um, you know, it'll be an interesting race. It'll, it'll be really, really interesting to see how it goes. Um, do you think uh, Jones has uh, any shot at getting reelected to a full term, Doug Jones, or do you think that he's toast? Well, I it's really hard to say uh, because Doug Jones has been very, um, you know, he hasn't been anti-Trump in the Senate. He's, he's been very much... A, a more moderate Democrat and seeing as that the um, that the people of Alabama have been kind of uh, not really outspoken against Doug Jones um, you know it's interesting to see what he'll actually even if he will receive some kind of uh, pushback in the primaries you know and that's something else that we're not accounting for so to, to, if I had to give a percentage right now, whether he'll make it, I'd give it a 50-50. You know, the, the people of Alabama, they did elect a Democrat, and we'll see if um, we'll see if they're happy with it um, or not. But I think it's, it'll be one of the most um, one of the most closest race that will races that we'll see in 2020 as far as Senate elections go. All right, and now. To the last story um, uh, that we have here. Um, so uh, there is more fallout out of the national uh, emergency that Trump did declare, uh, which we talked about on last week's episode. Um, multiple states now suing the president, uh, as he did expect when he announced it. He did say he expected that. Um, and now uh, Congressman. Uh, uh, California Congressman Adam Schiff has apparently uh, written an open letter to his Republican colleagues urging them to out, be outspoken uh, and oppose Trump's uh, national emergency idea. What are your thoughts on Trump declaring a national emergency and what are your thoughts on the fallout that we're seeing? You know, the president stated it himself. He said, I didn't have to do this. Um, and I agree with that. He didn't have to do it. But, you know, I find I find it very troubling that the president has used his position uh, as president of the United States to further his political, um, some kind of political capital for the 2020 election. He did this to keep his promise to, to his base. And he's trying to keep his base happy by building this wall. But we've seen how much money it's cost American people with the government shutdown. We see how many furloughed workers were hurt during that process. So, you know, Adam Schiff is a a very respected uh, congressman from California. And as the head of the the, the House uh, Intelligence Committee, you know, he's uh, I think he's very capable. You know, I think the the follow that we're going to see from this is not only from the courts, but as well as, uh, you know, some of the Republican senators who said that the, the executive branch has had far too much power in the recent years and that it's time for them to, to take it back, as, as Mike Lee said. So, you know, we, we might even see some, uh, some senators, some Republican senators defecting, uh, not, not completely, but in, in a way where they wouldn't be absolutely uh, campaigning for the president as, as one would be when he's running for re-election. Um, and for those who uh, are unaware listening, Mike Lee is the, the man he just mentioned uh, is the Republican uh, senator from uh, Utah. Um, do you think that um, he could – do you think that this is going to uh, pass in the Supreme Court or do you think it could fail? I mean I, I could – it could go either way. I mean I see that the Supreme Court uh, – Justices want to make themselves seem very independent. 
but at the same time, you know, when when the uh, the new justices, especially to have been appointed by the president, um, when we see how they've been ruling, you know, it could go either way. Honestly, um, we saw John Roberts er- earlier this this year. Um, I think it was earlier this month. He voted with the the liberal, um, more liberal justices uh, when it came down to a, a court case. I can't remember specifically which one it was. But, um, you know, that's that's something that we kind of look at. So um, I think that when it comes down to the Supreme Court, I could see it going either way. But at the same time, you know, the judicial the, the, the judicial branch of the of, of the federal government tends to make itself seem uh, as the the big you know decider when it comes to these things. So I think when it comes down to it, the Supreme Court could either, you know, let the president have uh, or win this fight, or at the same time, I could see, uh, I could see them telling him that that he shouldn't do this. Um, and I believe the the case uh, you were talking about um, was about Louisiana's abortion laws, yes, because they wanted to enact anti-abortion laws. The Democratic governor John Bell Edwards wanted to enact anti-abortion laws in the state, and John Roberts ruled with the other justices uh, against it. Um, uh, Which way do you think it's more likely to go? Do you think it's more likely to go... Do you think it's slightly more likely to go for it or slightly more likely to go against... Uh, President Trump. I mean, I could, I could see it going, I could see it going his way. Um, but at the same time, um, I, I really don't know because I see John Roberts as a person who is not really into President Trump and his, his, uh, his way of politics. And I could see John Roberts kind of defecting from, from that kind of ideology. So I could, I could see it go. I think it'd be more leaning more towards no. But at the same time, they could surprise me and and, and say that uh, it's it's completely in in line with the president's powers. All right, thank you. Um, before uh, before we wrap up, is uh, do you want to tell everybody about where you can be found, not just on Anchor but on social media? So uh, I really don't post a lot of social media stuff um, for the podcast. But um, yeah, I'm on I'm on uh, Instagram as uh, led underscore o r d uh, is a u r d e. So it's uh, Eduardo underscore Dell, and that's I mean it's it's uh, backwards. <laughs> it's about backwards. That's me on Instagram. I'm on Twitter at the, as the same thing, and uh, I am on Facebook as Eduardo Delgado. Um, but yeah, thank you, Nolan, for having me on, and it is it was really nice to talk about politics. You're with me. Uh, well, thank you for joining me. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, uh, and I think I I really do look forward to to coming back and and discussing whenever you'd like to have me on again. Okay, sounds good. I will look into that. All right. Bye. Bye. Senator Kirsten Gillibrand has spent years fighting the problems of sexual assault and harassment in the military. A congresswoman, a senator, Kirsten Gillibrand took over for Hillary Clinton when she resigned from her Senate seat to become Secretary of State. Now, Gillibrand hopes to do something Clinton couldn't do, become America's first woman president. This is Kirsten Gillibrand, and this is her story. The Candidates. Donald Trump has got to be defeated, and I intend to do everything that I can with every other progressive in America, making sure that that happens. Their stories. We got a real opportunity to build something. And their fight for the White House. Keep America great, exclamation point. Keep America great. This is Presidential Profile 2020. At that inflection moment, where were you? This is that moment. It's our job to remind the American people that we're looking out for them. So all of you, showing the country how you do this. The special interests and the powerful have such an outsized influence and outcome to restore our democracy.
Kirsten Elizabeth Rutnick was born in Albany, New York on December 9, 1966 to Polly and Douglas, who were both attorneys. Douglas was also a lobbyist. Kirsten had two siblings, Aaron and Douglas II. Dorothea, Chris, Kirsten's grandmother, was head of the powerful Albany Democratic Women's Club. Kirsten is of Australian, Irish, Scottish, German, and English descent. Her parents divorced in the 1980s. Gillibrand took on the nickname Tina as a teenager, but eventually took on the name Kirsten again. She attended Emma Willard High School and went to Dartmouth College. During her time in college, Gillibrand interned for Republican Senator Alphonse D'Amato. After college, Gillibrand pursued a career in law and became part of the Davis, Polk, and Warweld law firm. During that time, she served as a defense attorney for Philip Morris, a tobacco company, whilst it was going through litigation. Her time at Davis Polk was what began her run in the Democratic Party. Gillibrand worked for the Women's Leadership Forum, which was a part of the Democratic National Committee. She later went on to head the program. Gillibrand talked about how then-First Lady Hillary Clinton was her role model. She served as a special counsel for then-Secretary of Housing and Urban Development Andrew Cuomo and worked for Clinton's 2000 Senate campaign, to which Clinton was successful in winning. Gillibrand later went on to work for Bowie's Schuyler Flexner LLP in the 2000s. Eventually, she married the love of her life, Jonathan Gillibrand, to whom she has two boys with. Eventually, Gillibrand began to flirt with the idea of a run for Congress and transferred to her company's Albany office. She left the company in 2005 and began her work on her campaign. Reason of discontent for voters? Democrats hope so. They're trying to capitalize on public dissatisfaction with the war in Iraq and the way President Bush is handling it. 2006, when Republicans held control of the U.S. Senate and House of Representatives, Democrats saw a huge target of opportunity. With the Iraq war raging on, Democrats were able to attack Republicans running in the 2006 midterm elections, tying them to unpopular Republican President George W. Bush. With, with Democrats seeing a large target of opportunity to take back Congress, one vulnerable man who they eyed was Congressman John Sweeney, who represented New York's 20th district in the U.S. House of Representatives and was vying for a fifth term. Democrats heavily targeted the seat. Eventually, Gillibrand announced her candidacy and won the Democratic nomination for the seat. What happened to the $300 billion we sent to Iraq? Halliburton got $18 billion. $9 billion is just plain missing. And our congressman, John Sweeney, has been caught red-handed voting for all of it. That's money we need for jobs and health care here in New York. Now John Sweeney is ready to dump billions more in Iraq. John Sweeney, another Republican caught red-handed. With 3.2 million members, MoveOn.org Political Action is responsible for the content of this advertisement. Sweeney suffered from multiple gaffes. Weeks before the election, a report of domestic violence between Sweeney and his wife came out. Gillibrand, running in a purple district, ran as a blue dog Democrat. She had an A from the NRA at the time. On election day, Democrat Elliot Spitzer won his election for governor of New York by a landslide, as did Hillary Clinton, who won re-election to the United States Senate. Both Democrats managed to sweep New York's 20th congressional district. This gave Gillibrand a boost. She ended up unseating Sweeney by a six-point margin. And so I'm concerned that we need to enliven women all across America and ask them to be heard on a greater level. In Congress, Gillibrand joined the Blue Dog Coalition and expressed oppositions to giving driver's licenses to illegal immigrants. She opposes sanctuary cities. In 2008, former New York Secretary of State Sandy Treadwell challenged her on the Republican line that same night. Barack Obama won the presidency. This gave Gillibrand a boost. She defeated Treadwell by a landslide 25-point margin. In early 2009, President-elect Barack Obama announced Hillary Clinton would be his nominee for Secretary of State. As a result, Clinton resigned from her Senate seat. 
The job of appointing a replacement to Clinton's seat fell on Democratic Governor David Patterson. Caroline Kennedy, the daughter of President John F. Kennedy, as well as Andrew Cuomo, the now Attorney General of New York, whom Gillibrand once worked for, were both considered. Some rumors suggested Patterson might appoint himself to the seat. However, Patterson chose Gillibrand to replace Clinton. Gillibrand took office as senator just days after being sworn into her second term in the House of Representatives. Upon taking office, Gillibrand took a more progressive stance on the issues. She supported stronger gun regulations and now has an F from the NRA. She supports sanctuary cities and supports abolishing ICE. In 2010, Gillibrand had to run to defend her seat in a special election. She defeated former Republican Congressman Joe Diaguardi by a 27-point margin. In 2012, she ran for a full term, defeating Republican attorney Wendy Long by a whopping 46% margin, winning with over 70% of the vote. Rumors spread that Gillibrand would attempt uh, to run in 2016 for president. However, she declined. After Clinton, who once held her seat, lost the presidency to New York Republican businessman Donald Trump, Gillibrand became a harsh critic of Trump. Gillibrand supported the Medicare for All plan and ran for re-election in 2018. Rumors swirled that she would run for president in 2020, though Gillibrand initially declined, saying she would serve out a full six-year term. In November 2018, Gillibrand took down Republican businesswoman Shel Farley by a 34-point margin. A few days after the election, she expressed interest in a presidential run. In 2019, she officially announced her candidacy for president. I'm filing an exploratory committee for President of the United States tonight. Tonight. For more 2018 presidential profiles, keep it right here on Politics Weekly.